Welcome to the exciting book of the book of Revelation. We are so excited to be in this study, Revelation Revealed. Open your Bibles this morning to the book of Revelation chapter 8. We are making our way through. Today's message is the moment when heaven goes silent. Now, we hear much in the news today how hostile the public sentiment is, how divisive, how partisan in nature it is. And supposedly, this is a uniquely American thing, listening at least to some. But the fact is, the acrimony that exists in America, which is very real, is not unique to our country. The fact is, all over the world, you name it, every country, if you were to listen to their news or to read the newspapers, get on the internet, you would find out that the fact is uh, we live in a world that is constantly bickering, upset with each other, all kinds of stuff going on. All the airwaves and the talking heads are constantly, uh, never stop. I mean, 24 hours a day, they just keep going. You add to that all the noise that we hear around us, and the fact is, uh, it is overwhelming. It seems like there's never any stop. But there is coming a day when every internet publication will stop, where every uh, news broadcast will be done, every talking voice will be silenced. There's coming a day when there'll not be a sound, not one sound. It will be absolutely, utterly silent. And for 30 minutes, there'll not be a bird that uh, chirps, no not be the rustling of the leaves of a tree. There'll not be the sound of a wave. I mean, there'll not be a car. There'll not be a train. Zero, absolute, no sound for 30 minutes. Absolute quiet. Now, why is that? Because God is clouding up. He is clouding up to present a perfect storm of righteous judgment. An event that ends Satan's control. God gave Satan uh, uh, rights to this earth for a time because of man's sin. But uh, that end is going to come to a conclusion. That is called the day of our Lord. And whether that day begins at the rapture or whether it, whatever point it is, it is the day of the Lord. It is a series of righteous judgments that expresses the just anger and wrath and vengeance of God upon evil, all the evil that has ever been, all accumulated. The Bible speaks of God treasuring up His wrath. And that uh, big cup that's been treasuring up is going to finally overflow. And it is going to be so ominous, so impending that heaven is going to go silent for 30 minutes. And so that's what we're going to look into here this morning. Well, on the lighter side, that 30 minutes of silence in heaven, one man said, that's proof that there'll be no women in heaven because it's silent in heaven for 30 minutes. <laughs> one uh, lady uh, retorted when she heard that. She said, no, uh, read the passage. You'll see these angels, and not one of those angels had a beard, I will tell you that for sure. And another lady said, well, if men do get there, it'll be by a close shave for sure. But um, 
The fact is, there is going to be 30 minutes of silence in heaven. Let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for the privilege it has been, Lord, to just uh, find you this week in Revelation 8. Thank you, Lord, for the absolute joy it is to be able to present this to these people who love your word. And Lord, they are people who are serious about you and your work. I pray that, Lord, you'll uh, teach us today. Teach us, Holy Spirit. Incline our hearts to wisdom. Give us your understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'll put that chart up, please, let's take a look. Uh, Somebody did a wonderful little uh, uh, picture chart. It's very simple. Uh, It's uh, visual. I'm a visual learner. Over on the far left, you see the uh, church age, just the terminology. You don't actually see that name in Scripture, but... It's the age when the church of Jesus Christ is running on all eight cylinders, and then that church is gone. See that arrow pointing up? The rapture comes. And then this seven years, which uh, actually refers back to uh, Daniel's 70th uh, year, uh, which is of seven years. And so that's seven years. God doesn't forget. We may forget, but God doesn't forget, and He's going to take care of business Seven years, real, literal years here on this earth. And even though the Christians are gone, it's going to be the same buildings. That's why in these walls we have uh, Bibles and uh, people leave their Bibles, which, by the way, I can't figure out anyway, but uh, people leave their Bibles over the years. So when we were building this building, we had pretty much hundreds of them and we put them in the walls. These are tribulation Bibles. So if this place gets blown up and that wall opens up, they're going to be Bibles for people because we're going to be in this. Uh, we're going to be in this earth, or someone will be. Well, I won't be, thank God. But um, the uh, then the first set of judgments that's going to come are called seal judgments, and uh, we've opened each one up. And then today we're going to open up the seventh seal, and in fact, it is a another set of judgments. The first set being trumpets. The second set being bowls. Um, certainly they are pictures, but at the same time, they're literal judgments. As, as you can see, each one listed there, and um, you can see the different chapters of the book of Revelation. Finally, the second coming. Jesus is going to come with His saints. He came for His saints at the beginning. Then He's going to come with His saints. He's going to establish a millennial kingdom of a thousand literal years still on this earth. It's definitely going to be changed earth. But uh, there's going to be a different um, atmosphere and a different environment and different uh, sensibilities, but it's still the same earth. And finally, at the end of the millennium period, God's going to remake this earth, and uh, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And so there you go. There's the picture. Now, we saw last week uh, how that in the midst of this judgment, and so we have a little pause, in the midst of judgment, there is mercy. And thank God always remembers mercy. And now we come to chapter 8, and we're going to uh, embark on the full fury of the Lord, a loving Lord. And it's wonderful that God reminds us that in this passage, it is a lamb that's pouring out his wrath. And we're going to find an angel uh, who is going to be uh, precede seven angels with seven trumpets. And this one angel is going to throw towards earth this fiery censer, this, uh, this fireball that's going to lead to 
uh, these judgments that we just saw. All right, now we're going to go through the first five verses. Uh, they're so full of information. I think we need to take just a little bit of time. But we can divide, I think, these verses into four distinct parts. First of all, we see the calm. Verse number one. And let's read verse one together, if you would, please. Ready? Let's read it out loud together. If you have a King James Version, or you can look here at the PowerPoint. Ready? Begin. And when he had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of half an hour. This has to be one of the most fascinating passages in all of Scripture. I know of nothing quite like it. it something might rival it when Joshua prayed and the sun stood still, but I'm talking about an event, an atmospheric world universe uh, galaxy event where the Bible says there is silence. Now, who is it? First of all, verse number one, when he had opened the seventh seal. Who is the he? We can go back just one verse and you'll find it in chapter 7, uh, verse 17 there. It is the lamb. The lamb. Why is he called the lamb? It is a, a distinct inference back to the Old Testament where they would take a lamb and sacrifice it. And it was a picture of a coming lamb, one who shed his blood. He is none other than Jesus Christ, the heir of the universe. He, our kinsman redeemer. He, the one who paid our ultimate price. He, the one who is our perfect Lord and Savior, the only one worthy. Nobody else can open up this scroll because you have to be related. You have to be perfect. It has to be one who has the title deed, the right to open it up. No one else can take the deed to your home. Only you can. Your name is written there. And Jesus Christ, His name is on this title deed. And so even though it's a pictorial language, it's a big scroll. Even though the Bible calls it a book, the King James Version at least, it's a scroll. And uh, you unroll this scroll, one seal at a time. And now we came to the final seal. The seal is broken. And as soon as it's broken earth, the universe, the heavens, the angels, the seraphim, the cherubim, all the angels, all the presence, see what is written. Nobody's ever seen what's written. They see what is written, and they, they just come to an absolute silence. Now, for the last 6,000 years, folks, since God created this earth, and don't believe these people who tell you that the world is millions of years old, or you'd say, well, you know, the rocks prove it. Well, first of all, I doubt that. And uh, we're going to see in just a couple of weeks, we have this wonderful creation conference, and I'm sure he'll visit that fact that it probably doesn't prove that. But even if it does prove that, that doesn't mean that God can't create this earth with age already in it. But I will tell you, we know that this earth we are on is only 6,000 years old. You can take the book of Matthew, and just take the genealogy and run it all the way back to Genesis. You have the years right there. And so it's been 2,000 years since Matthew. We can put it together. But I will tell you that the world we live in for the last 6,000 years, and even in a bigger sphere, the galaxy itself, and all the galaxies, even though we call it space, is actually quite noisy. Radio telescopes tell us that there is 
out there in space, a very busy world. Uh, the friction of rocks, uh, meteors, and uh, comets and other things uh, zooming through the space. Actually, uh, radio telescopes that can uh, capture the noise that that creates. There are the ionizing of gases. They deliver a stream of noise to the earth nonstop. And so, actually, space is actually quite noisy. We live in a very noisy world. The average day, we have so many decibels that come into our mind. If you live where I do, you hear uh, motorcycles race by, and big old cars, and, uh, you stop at a stop sign somewhere, and somebody will come up with that um, rap music going on, and everything shakes around it. Or you go to work, and maybe you're at a construction site, or you can even be in, a, in an office, uh, or you can be in a home, and some of these little babies, bless their heart, boy, I tell you what, I don't know what decibel rating some of those babies are, but they have to be 500, I mean, and uh, it just blows your brains out. But no matter where you go, there's sound. I mean, there's never a time when we don't hear some kind of sound. Even when we're sleeping, there's sound all around us. And I think you will agree with me that, frankly, it's pretty hard to find a place where there's peace and quiet. But the fact is, we are always engulfed by sound. Now, some of it is just ambient, white noise, and almost is uh, kind of pleasing to the mind. Uh, my wife and I have a little joke. We keep our window open about 99% of the year, and um, I we pretend that uh, the cars that drive by are just ocean waves. And uh, I said, listen to the waves. And I whoosh, whoosh. <laughs> and uh, some of the waves are a little faster than others. But, um, but that noise actually, and I love to hear the train at night because I wake up in the middle of the night and I say, I'm not dead. Someone's on a train <laughs> and someone's pulling the stupid horn. I have no idea why they need to pull that thing at midnight, but whatever the case is, actually it's uh, comforting. I don't know if it would be comforting if I were right next to the rain, train track, but it's comforting where we live. But the fact is we live in a very noisy, noisy world. Imagine then what would happen if all of that stopped for 30 minutes. They say that uh, in Orfield Laboratories in Minnesota, there is an anechoic chamber. I was interested in finding out if there is a place where it's absolutely silent. And they say that actually the quietest place on earth is at this particular laboratory. In fact, it is so severely quiet that nobody has been able to last in it longer than 45 minutes. The decibel rating in there is actually negative, negative nine. It is so quiet, they said, that the only sounds you can hear are body noises. You can hear your heart. You can hear the gurgling of your stomach and other body noises. They said if, you, if they darken the room, you can't stand because you don't realize how much we need our ears to actually stand. The sound of our gate, uh, the different things that are moving, they said the longest that anybody's been, ever been able to be in there is 45 minutes. They just can't stand negative silence for any longer than that. The fact is, folks, can you imagine then the chaos that's going to reign in this world when for 30 minutes we have that anechoic type of quietness? Ironic, isn't it, when you think about it? How that today we live in a world where mankind says, well, I wish I, God could speak. God is too quiet. Ironic because really God is not quiet at all. 
Romans chapter 1 says God speaks very clearly and very loud. It's just that men are saying, I can't hear God. I can't see God. Well, take your fingers out of your ears. Take a real good look around you. You'll see God everywhere. But it's ironic to me, I think, that in that day, God is going to be silent. But that silence is going to speak very loud. Here we are at a time when God goes quiet for 30 minutes. Now, why does God do that? I believe it's because in light of God's judgment, the earth goes in this sense of impending doom. Zechariah, the Old Testament prophet, a young prophet, especially compared to some of the others like Hosea. He is known as the mini Isaiah. There's more references to Christ and Zechariah, his first coming, his second coming than any other Old Testament book other than the book of Isaiah. But Zechariah says in chapter 2, verse 13, be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is raised up out of his holy habitation. And so when Jesus, the Lamb, opens the last seal, all of heaven knows what that means. Judgment day. Now, I know people are afraid of judgment day. They're afraid of Russia, who has now this uh, hypersonic missile. They're afraid that we're all going to blow each other up, and Judgment Day, and Armageddon, and the end of the world. The fact is, friends, it is not the end of the world, because when the end of the world does come, it's absolute silence. There's not even an amen in heaven, not a hallelujah, not a praise the Lord, not one sound, and heaven has been nonstop praise since its beginning. And stunned silence is the grim grim reality of the devastation that's about to be unleashed on Satan and sin. A calm before the storm. And it is uh, true shock and awe. The greatest single moment of judgment outside of the cross since Adam and Eve. It's so stunning and yet so righteously glorious, so amazingly just that it just takes the sound and the breath away from the world. This earth world is going to finally face all of the evil that it's ever done. It's going to face the music. Have you ever heard that phrase, it's time to face the music? Do you know where that expression actually came from? I love to read the uh, origins of famous uh, statements. I read about that one this week. Many years ago, there was a man who desperately wanted to play in the Imperial Orchestra. He uh, really didn't need it for the money's sake, but he did want the notoriety. He wanted to be somebody. Back in those days, a person who played for the King's Symphony was very, very special. The fact, however, was he did not have any skills. In fact, could not even play one note. But being a person of wealth and influence, he bought his way into the orchestra. He paid off the conductor. Conductor didn't like it, but knew he pretty much had to let him in. He was given a flute, sat there in the second row, so he wasn't in the front. But uh, so every time the conductor would lift up his batons, get everybody to start playing, he would lift up his uh, instrument. He'd pucker his lips. He'd begin and act as though he was playing his instrument. He got lots of accolades along with everybody else. And for two years, everything went good until there was a new conductor. The new conductor came on and said, I'm glad to have all of you, but uh, I want to make sure everybody's up to my specific standards on an individual basis. And so he required each one 
to give a personal audition. This man knew he was in trouble. Each one, one by one, got up to there and played. He made excuses. He said he was sick. He, uh, he said he'd lost his instrument, you name it. And yet the day finally came when he had to realize and show that he was a fake. He had to face the music that he couldn't play the music. Well, the find is, folks, there is a time coming when the heavenly conductor is going to make sure that each one of us in this whole world faces the music. And that's why there's such a calm. There's a quiet in heaven. Now, second of all, I want you to notice the, not only the calm, but notice the calling, a call to justice. Verse number two. Let's read that verse together, if you would, please. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now, the apostle has been given a vision. Remember now, the apostle John is on the Isle of Patmos. He has been given this revelation. The, it is actually the revelation of Jesus Christ. Seven angels with seven trumpets. You know, angels often play a very key part in the last days. Now, they actually play a part in our life. The Bible indicates that they are ministering spirits. In fact, uh, the apostle reminded us that oftentimes you uh, entertain angels unaware. You don't even realize that uh, you've been dealing with an angel. It's amazing to me how often we'll get some little tip off on something, we'll get a sense about something, a caution or uh, an idea, and we think, man, that's just amazing. Well, it might have been God just sending an angel your way and taking care of you. How many times a, an angel, I remember one time a, one of our children was running towards the backyard, another one of the children were on a swing set, I was in the house, I couldn't get out there fast enough, but I could see the timing of that swing set. That uh, seven or eight-year-old child was swinging with all his might, and the other one was running, and I could see there was going to be a collision right in the face with those heels, those boots was going to give them a, he was going to smash their face in. And right when they got to the swing, that little girl tripped and fell down, and I think it was Luke, his little feet went right over whoever one of the daughters were. Just went, I thought, man, that's something. A guardian angel just put his foot out and tripped her like that, like that. Thank God for those angels. They take care of us so much. But I will tell you, look at these angels here. They are part of the end days. Now, I'm not going to bash Hollywood this morning. I'll say that for another day. But I'd tell you this. Wouldn't it be great if Hollywood would make a, a movie about the book of Revelation that was Bible-based or somebody who would, would do that, and they would show us what these angels are really like, not a bunch of tutti-frutti people running around, you know, no real angels, as they should be. Notice what it says here about these angels. Now, these angels are called very specific angels. Notice what it says. I saw seven angels, so we're given the number, which stood before God, which stood before God. So this is not just any group of angels. Theologians have called these presence angels. Now, a more common angel we've heard about is cherubim. That's not the sweet little round-faced little baby, although they're certainly sweet. No, a cherubim is a certain type of an angel, a seraphim. We've heard of archangels. But these are presence angels, seven very unique, seven, which 
There are so many uh, symbolisms in seven, seven uh, which is completeness, uh, as in seven days, uh, but seven angels, these seven angels who have ministered in the very presence of God's throne. Even though God is omnipresent, God also has a place that He, a throne place, and we're told last week about this temple that uh, they'd be able to minister in, and so at any rate, these presence angels who have been there since the beginning. Psalm 104 verse 4 says, He maketh His angels. So God created His angels. He made them as spirits. They are ministers. They serve with a flaming fire. If you go on to the next verse, I don't think we have it here in the PowerPoint, but who laid the foundations of the earth. And so God says, at the beginning, of the, when I laid the foundation of this world, I have seven angels we're told in the book of Revelation, it's clarified, seven presence angels a, who surround my throne. Their job is to, to praise God. Their, God. their job is to minister for God. Here they are. I think that uh, Gabriel might have been one of them. Because look what it says in Luke chapter 1 and verse 19. And the angel answering said unto him, remember, now this is uh, in Luke chapter 1, regarding the announcement of the birth of our Savior. And the, answering, the angel answering said unto him, I am Gabriel that stand in the presence of God. And so Gabriel, the announcer angel, was probably one of these presence angels, maybe even one of the seven. Their duty is to sound out a trumpet. Now trumpets are used many times in Scripture. In fact, trumpets are the most often mentioned musical instrument in Scripture. The Hebrew word is shofar, and oftentimes it was a, a horn uh, of an animal. Other times it was actually a created horn. But the trumpets were used to declare war. They were also used to assemble people, convocations or celebrations. By the way, that's why Scripture says very specifically that at the rapture, there's going to be a trumpet because it goes back to the Old Testament when they would use that for a holy convocation. They would blow the trumpet, and that's why there's a trumpet at the rapture. Trumpets are also used to introduce kings. Now, I love all kinds of instruments, but trumpets have this special ability to announce things. Imagining trying to blow a flute. Now, I love flutes. I, I, I do. I love the sound of a, a beautiful flute, a, a wind flute especially, I mean, I just, just a beautiful, but it's pretty hard to hear those things. But a trumpet, I mean, you, they sound those trumpets, and so God said there's going to be this big sound of a trumpet. Seven presence angels are going to announce the impending doom of this world with seven trumpets, specifically. Now, in the next verses, which the Lord willing, on the next Lord's Day, we're going to look at, but... Uh, we find the first angel is going to sound. Hail and fire mixed with blood are going to be thrown to the earth. The second angel is going to sound. And a mountain, Scripture says, burning with fire is going to be called into the sea. It is a call. It is a call to justice. Because despite whatever anybody might think, God is always watching. God knows what ever's happened. He knows everything that anybody has ever done. In fact, He even knows what they're thinking in their minds. We, in our world today, have a communist nation known as China. China, uh, despite having over a billion people, uh, 
are under constant mass surveillance. I was reading this week an article about, silent, about China. You may have heard about what they call their social credit system. They give people uh, brownie points, basically social points, for doing good things like picking up litter or helping people. Of course, uh, many people are very uh, alarmed by it. They say by the end of 2020, there's going to be 700 million of the cameras. They said just about every person is being watched about all the time. And they said within a couple of years, they ex- fully expect there to be 1 billion surveillance cameras, pretty much one camera for every person in China. Now, I will tell you, that's a scary thing. Who knows what's going on in our own country? They monitor not only everybody, what they're doing, where they're going. They monitor every cell phone. They monitor every click on your keyboard. They know exactly what's going on. And uh, I tell you what, it's, it's getting crazy anymore. Uh, we've, we've had people tell us that husband and wife will discuss something at the kitchen table. They'll go to their computer and uh, uh, call it up. And all of a sudden, that, an advertisement for that same thing they were just talking about will pop up. Because everybody's always listening. The fact is, if we think that's amazing, imagine what's going to happen when God comes forth and He has been watching everything, not everything we do, but everything we even think, Scripture says. The calm, the calling, and now third of all, the communion. One of the most amazing and yet thrilling events, especially for a believer. Look at verse 3. And another angel came and stood at the altar. So this is different from those presence angels. Having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Now there's obviously a connection. If you've read through the Old Testament, if you've been here, or if you've been uh, in other teaching, you'll know that this is an obvious uh, reference back to the Old Testament um, Levite experience as practiced in the tabernacle, as also practiced in the temple. Twice a day, a Levite and a Levite only would go to the brazen altar, which is the very first of all the altars. They would walk into this altar there. They would then offer a sacrifice. It would be burnt they would then take the coals from the brazen altar. They would, uh, the qualified uh, one, the priest would be able to go into the holy place, not the holy of holies, but twice a day, they would go into the holy place. There inside that holy place, they would go to the back, and there would be the golden altar. The golden altar, also known as the altar of incense, and they would take these coals, they would place it on the altar. It was right before this big veil that would go into the Holy of Holies. And this, they would mix it with incense. It was a very specific mixture and a beautiful mixture and uh, amazing mixture. And they would, that would then uh, fill the place. And not because of the way that it was constructed, it would arise and people could see that smoke coming up from the holy place. It symbolized the prayers of God's people. That's exactly what this is talking about. In fact, if you want, if you may remember back when we looked at it a couple weeks ago in chapter 6, verse number 10, it says, they cried with a loud voice, saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? 
So look at this verse again, connected with chapter 6, verse 10. It says, he should offer it, this incense. So it's a picture. It's probably literal incense, but in another sense, it is uh, the prayers. He should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Notice it says, with all the saints. So chapter 6, verse 10 we have these martyred trib saints, tribulation saints. These people who refused the mark of the beast, they couldn't do any business. They then ended up giving their life out of standing for Jesus Christ. They died. They are under the throne and they are crying out for God to end Satan's rule, to, to bring about peace on the earth. And they are praying for God to do a work. So Along with these prayers, as it says here, all the saints, the prayers of all saints, that means the prayer of every saint that has ever been in all of history. Finally, a time for God to work. Now, in our mind's eye and sometimes in our spirit, we feel like, why doesn't God do something? I mean, why doesn't God step in and, and why doesn't God, for these precious little babies that are being aborted and others. Why doesn't God step in? Why doesn't God do something? But God will. God will finally, He will come in and step into this matter and He will do something amazing. God is, gonna, God is listening to every prayer. If you've ever wondered if God is listening to prayer, boy, what a great verse to remind us. God is listening to every prayer of all the saints, of all the ages, Going all the way back to Adam, he is remembering the prayer of every saint. And every prayer that you've ever prayed, God remembers. Sometimes I'm thinking, oh God, are you listening? God says, I'm listening. Now God may not answer today. He may not answer tomorrow. But I will tell you, God bottles up all of our prayers. And the Bible said he's going to bring about absolute divine justice. A.W. Tozier said this, we can be thankful that true justice is in the hands of God. And I'm glad that it is because many people today said, we need justice. And they usually have some kind of misconstrued idea of real justice. The fact is, everybody wants justice. Every people group wants justice. Everybody wants justice. Thank God, God is a just God. And He is going to answer every prayer that's ever been prayed. Folks, don't stop praying. Because you may not get the answer now, you may not get the answer tomorrow, but the Bible says here that he's going to take all the prayers of his saints, all the prayers, and it's going to be part of this justice, this incredible just moment of the vengeful, the righteous, loving, as it were, vengeance of God on an evil, evil world. And so we've seen a calm before the storm, 30 minutes of silence. And then a calling to justice and a communion of prayers that God answers. And then finally, notice the cataclysm. All of a sudden, now everything breaks loose. In fact, let's read it together, verses 4 and 5, if you would, please. Let's read it out loud. Ready? Begin. And the smoke of the incense, which came with the prayers of the saints, ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with the fire of the altar, and cast it into the earth. And there were voices, and thunderings, and lightnings, and an earthquake. 
And so this presence angel, this angel perhaps of maybe not one of those seven, but this angel takes this censer, which is just a, a receptacle for the prayers of God's people, and very definitely the prayers are coming back in a form of judgment. Isn't that a, an awesome indication of the power of prayer? God takes every prayer, every prayer against an evil empire, every prayer against those who have done so much wrong with fire. Now, why does God call it a fiery judgment? Because fire is often judged or associated with judgment in Scripture. You may remember Matthew chapter 13, where Jesus talked about the tares and the wheat. The tares are being weeds, the weeds and the wheat. God says uh, you can't really do anything about it because there's no way for us as humans to figure out who's a weed and who's a wheat, but God knows. And at the judgment, He's going to bundle up the tares, the weeds, and He's going to throw them into fire. The fact is, this powerful angel is going to hurt this earth. And uh, we see it in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse number 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. People would say, well, that just seems so mean of God. It just seems so hard and so harsh. Why would God, you know, pour out fire on people who just don't know God? Notice the next part of that verse, and it's important to see it. Flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The fact is, uh, they don't obey the gospel. The gospel is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. He didn't say you have to give a certain amount of money. He didn't say you have to do a certain amount of good works. He didn't say you have to join a church or do this or that. He just simply said, trust like that thief on the cross, just accept Jesus Christ. Obey the gospel. Obey what the Bible says. Don't try to make your own way to heaven. Obey the gospel way. And if you'll do so, you will have eternal life, and you won't have to have the vengeance of God. People today, especially the atheist mindset is, this is so harsh. This is so bad. I can't believe God would do such a thing. But the fact is, their, their logic is flawed. It's strange, really. Recently, our whole uh, world, uh, frankly, has been under this huge uh, coronavirus scare. And it's tragic. It's devastating. And many people feel like this uh, is just the tip of the iceberg. One of my uh, friends who is in the Philippines uh, told me they have regular friends from China. They said, you just can't even believe people are just dying in the streets. And of course, they don't let anybody see what's going on. So who knows uh, what's going on? He said, they, the, they made this big hospital and they got all these excavators out there and they, you know, uh, dug all that. They said, people are saying they're just throwing bodies in just like crazy, throwing them in big uh, and just covering them up because they don't want to see, they don't want the world to see what's going on. They said, it's a whole lot different than you imagine. But whether that's true or not, Recently, uh, over the last few days, uh, there's been a, a ship, a, a cruise ship that's been uh, docked in Japan. It's been interesting to watch how this world has dealt with that. And so they're stuck on this ship. And uh, let's imagine for a few moments, let's just think through this, especially in light of this verse, these verses here. 
People say, well, how could God be so, how could God be so tough on this world? And how could, be, uh, how could he just, you know, I'm going to come with flaming justice. Let's imagine that this coronavirus is so bad that it has infected the, uh, the, it is everywhere. I mean, it's on every surface of the ship. It's been embedded into the very molecules of everything. I mean, there's no hope. I mean, absolutely no saving this cruise ship. The only thing that can be done is we're going to have to incinerate the whole ship. But a loving nation uh, led by a loving a leader of the country comes along and says, you can get off this ship. We will give you an antidote. We will fly you to a safe place, and you will n- not have to deal with this sickness. So come off the ship. No. What do you mean, No. Come off the ship. It, this ship is infected and it's going down. I mean, there's, there's only one thing we can do. We have to burn it or it's going to infect everything. No, I'll stay on the ship. Why would you stay on the ship? You, don't, you, could, have, you could come and we'll fly you to a place where you'll, you'll have a cure and you'll have everything you ever wanted. No, I'm going to stay on the ship. And folks, that's exactly what the prophet said in Ezekiel chapter 33 and verse 11. Say unto them as I live, saith the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. I don't, I don't get my jollies out of sending people to hell. But this world must be judged. There is a, there is a death sentence on it. It is a infected. And the prophet said, why would you die, O house of Israel? Why would you choose death? What would... So possess you to choose death. That's the same thing when I read the book of Revelation. Why would this world choose death? And why would it do these things? Well, that's because this world is infected with a sin disease. And they, they choose the wrong. Now, we can choose the right. The fact is the trumpet I want to hear is the trumpet of the rapture. And I have put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so can you. And you're here this morning and say, well, Pastor, I... I feel like I've made that decision great. But if there's even a doubt this morning, make sure that you have Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior. Because today, you will face the music someday. You will face the God. There is a holy God who is going to bring flaming judgment upon those in this world who obey not the gospel. I close with a true or a story about a true character of history. Trust that the story itself is to be believed. One of the last uh, emperors of Rome, at least of the pagan Rome, was uh, Julian. He began to be known uh, as an Augustus one or uh, one who was a, a great leader. Uh, here, I think there's a picture of a, a coin of Julius. Interesting thing about Julius, he was actually raised, his parents really didn't raise him, and busy doing whatever they were doing. He was raised by a slave as a Christian. But when he got to be 20 years old, he threw off his Christian um, leanings and his Christian thoughts and said, I'm no longer a Christian. Uh, he probably wanted to be out there with everybody else, and so he reverted to his pagan roots. And uh, in so doing, he became a terrible terrible blight on the Christian faith. In fact, uh, he did so many horrible things. You can read about Julius yourself. Here's a story about Julius, 
who decided to kill, flog one of a faithful, faithful Christian man. One day as the Roman soldier was flogging this Christian, Julius, the emperor, smugly, bitterly said to this faithful Christian, where is your carpenter of Nazareth now? And the Christian replied, O emperor, he is driving nails into your coffin. O emperor, he is driving nails into your coffin. It's a funny thing in this old world today. So many today are so proud and so big and they just act like, you know, there's nothing to fear. I promise you, God hears the prayers of every saint and God is going to come in flaming justice. The rest of the story is about Julius. He actually did die. It wasn't very long. In his early years, he died in uh, not far from Iraq or Iran in one of his campaigns, and he did die a very early age. The fact is, folk, God says you can obey the gospel. You can be saved. And like the prophet Ezekiel said, there's no reason to die because God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He'd say, well, I'm not a wicked person. Folks, we are all wicked. We are wicked, and we need Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed here this morning.